Psalm number three. And as I mentioned earlier, you'll see uh, some of your Bibles will have the title of this psalm. Uh, The title is a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So a psalm uh, perhaps written by David around about the time that we were reading of earlier in his life when he made his way out of Jerusalem, fleeing from his rebellious and dangerous son, Absalom. Psalm number three, let's again hear God's word. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Amen. This is God's word and you can keep your Bibles open there at Psalm number three as we come to study it this evening. I've taken as the title for our study this evening, Under Pressure. Under Pressure. I wonder, can you think of a time when you felt more uncomfortable, more uncertain, perhaps more under pressure than at any previous moment in your life? I don't know, maybe, maybe you're in such a moment even uh, at this stage, right now, today, maybe things at work became extremely difficult. You had tasks to carry out and you just didn't know where to begin with it. Maybe, you've been, maybe you were facing severe financial difficulties. Maybe your family faced a crisis of some other kind, a, pa- a painful situation, and you didn't know the best way forward. Maybe you've had the experience of someone bullying you verbally, Or physically. Maybe for reasons you can't understand at all. Someone has just had it in for you. They seem out to make life difficult for you. And and you don't really know why. Maybe the issue was more spiritual. Satan's accusations and temptations seemed stronger than ever. And it just wore you down. In times like that we can be left feeling under pressure. And when I hear those words under pressure, I always think of the image of the Greek titan as he was, Atlas, holding up the globe. That's where we get the title of, well, I suppose we don't really have them anymore. We have maps on our phones. I'm sure many of you will remember having an atlas in your hands. And that's where the title comes from, the the Greek myth of the titan holding up the heavens and the earth uh, on his shoulders. That's maybe what we feel like sometimes when we're under pressure. Well, Psalm 3, as we've already seen this evening, was written by a man under pressure. Try to put yourself in the shoes of David when he wrote this psalm. Running on the run from a rebellious child of his, Absalom. And 2 Samuel shows us that Absalom was a good-looking man with a very ugly-looking heart. He hated his father David so much that he led a rebellion against him and and actually momentarily sought to take the throne. 
And so cunning and so popular was Absalom that David, as we saw earlier, actually ends up fleeing from Jerusalem, his own capital city. And he, and he has to go on the run again. And just remember that David had already spent maybe 10 years of his life when he was much younger on the run from King Saul. Here he is, a much older man, a, a successful, established king. And he has to head out into the hills like an outlaw again. David knew what it was to be under pressure. And it's interesting that Psalm 3 is placed where it is in the Psalter. Uh, We looked at Psalm 2 this morning a few weeks ago. We looked at Psalm 1 and I mentioned to you, I gave you the picture of double doors. And that's what Psalm 1 and 2 are like. They're like double doors opening us up for the Psalter. Psalm 1 shows us the blessed man. Psalm 2 shows us the chosen king reigning over the world. Great stuff. And yet no sooner are you through the double doors than you walk into trouble. You see, the blessed life described in Psalm 1 and a life lived in obedience to the Messiah King in Psalm 2, it's not a carefree life. The Bible doesn't hide that from us. It's a life that often leaves us feeling under pressure. Look at the trouble David is facing, the pressure he is under in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of me, there is no salvation in God. Notice that word many repeated there. We read earlier in 2 Samuel 17, Ahithophel offering to take out 12,000 men with him to fight against David. There were many thousands of people, as David says in this psalm, against him. This is the man chosen by God to rule over the people of God. Should he not be receiving respect? Should he not be able to count on loyalty and support from his people, certainly from his own children? Does he not deserve better than this? Reminding us, of course, of a son of David who would come in the future who certainly deserved better than he faced. Yet many here are rising up against David. Not only that, but they are attacking his faith in God, ridiculing his faith in God. David's faith is a joke to them. Verse 2, there is no salvation for him in God. Some commentators believe this psalm is not just a personal prayer of David's, but that it's also a prayer for the battlefield. Uh, And and perhaps it was used in the future when armies went out to battle. In the ancient world, Uh, battles were very much seen, they were fought obviously between human armies, but they were seen as a battle between the gods of those armies, which god was the superior. And David's enemies here, they're not just disrespecting him, but they're disrespecting his god. How pathetic must David's god be, David's god be, they were saying. Look at the position David's in. His god must be a weakling to allow his king To end up out on the run with no support worth talking about. His faith is a joke. Does that kind of attitude sound familiar? See whether it's a a literal battlefield 3,000 years ago. Or a spiritual battlefield for you and I today friends. Sometimes believers are under pressure. We face trouble. But as Eugene Peterson has said. Trouble triggers prayer. Trouble triggers prayer, or at least it should trigger prayer. Maybe sometimes it doesn't trigger prayer in us as quickly as it should. 
but it triggered prayer for David. The very God that his enemies were saying was a joke, David turns to in prayer and in faith. And in David's prayer, friends, I want you to briefly see three things that God provides for believers when we're under pressure. Three things God provides for believers when we're under pressure. For believers under pressure, first of all, God provides protection. God provides protection. Look at verse 3. David says, speaking of God, But you are a shield around me, O Lord, my glory and the lifter of my head. See how David uses the language of the battlefield here. Uh, As we see several times in scripture, Paul does the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 16. You remember how Paul gives that picture of the armor of God. Uh, And part of that armor is, he he says, take up the shield of faith, Ephesians 6, 16. An interesting thing was that in Paul's day, I don't know for sure about David, although he says here, a shield round about me. So so maybe it was the same in David's day. But in Paul's day, the the Roman soldiers, their shields literally did cover them from head to toe. They were huge, big shields that the Roman army uh, held. And whenever the Roman army moved, of course, they, they moved together. It wasn't just one man out by himself. And so you imagine that the first line of, of Roman soldiers covered in their shields. And then the second line behind them, they put their shields up over their heads. And so as the army moved forwards, it was impenetrable from the arrows that usually would be flying against them. They were covered in the front. They were covered on the top, completely protected by one giant shield. And that's the picture David gives us here, that God is his shield. He can keep moving forward because he is fully protected. He says also in verse 3 that God is his glory. And and that word glory there in the Bible, that that word has the idea of of weightiness, of something significant, of, of strength and power. Some people talk about the glory of you know, some respected person, a, a leader or a, an athlete, for example. Uh, the delayed Tokyo Olympics are due to take place later in the summer. And if you watch some of it, you'll see strength and, and weightiness, quite literally weightiness in some of the athletes. You can tell just by looking at them before they even, before they even compete in the swimming pool or on the running track. You can just see looking at them the, the strength and the power that's ready to be exerted. But notice, friends, David himself does not feel strong. He doesn't feel like a man of great glory. He feels as weak as water, in fact. 2 Samuel 15 tells us that when David realized that Absalom was plotting to kill him, he and his men had to flee out of Jerusalem in the middle of the night, crossing the Kidron Valley and climbing up the Mount of Olives. And he was mocked along the way as he went. Not much strength or glory in David. But he doesn't rely on his own strength and glory. He says, God is my strength and my glory. My shield. And as the psalm goes on, David's confidence grows. He says in verse 4, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. And that language of the holy hill there is important. It's 
It's really speaking of, of dependence upon the presence and power of God to answer prayer. Uh, the holy hill, of course, is Jerusalem. It's where the Ark of the, of the Covenant of God ultimately resided. It was the place where, from which and to which God's people would pray over the centuries to come. And that was where David eventually had become king of Israel, of course. It was a, a place that reminded David and all faithful followers that God is the one in control. God is the one ruling over his people. He answered me from his holy hill, David says. And it, what he's saying really is that it doesn't matter whether Absalom is the temporary occupant of the holy hill. God is still in control. David is under pressure. But David trusts in the protection of his God. Maybe you need to do that today, dear friend. Maybe you're under extreme pressure today. Maybe some of you feel under pressure as you wait for important news or you work through family issues or you deal with painful situations. And isn't it true that when we only look at the problem or the person that's causing the problem or or we only try to figure things out for ourselves, it only leaves us feeling under more pressure most of the time. Instead, we, we need to look at our shield. We need to put our shield in front of our face, as it were. We need to trust in God. Remember the spies that Moses sent into Canaan? Uh, Twelve men go into Canaan to spy out the land, Numbers 13. Ten of them come back and all they talk about is how big the cities are and how big their enemies are and how we'll never defeat them. Only two of the spies came back. Joshua and Caleb came back and reminded the people that if God is with them, it doesn't matter how big the enemies are against them. Remember Peter walking towards Jesus in the water. And as long as he had his eyes on his saviour, he's fine. He takes a look at the waves and he begins to sink. Maybe sometimes we're sinking under pressure because our gaze is not in the right place. David looks to his God, the same God that the world around him declares a joke. And David says, he is my God, he is my shield. He'll answer my prayer when and how he pleases. The life of King David, if it teaches us nothing else, friends, it shows us that being a believer doesn't mean we will always avoid trouble, far from it. But it does mean that we have protection in the midst of that trouble. As long as we move forward like a good soldier with our shield up. And so do you have the shield of faith this evening? Maybe God is calling you to take up this shield for the very first time. And, and once you have it, you'll be in a better uh, you'll be better better able to face whatever pressure, whatever enemy, whatever temptation is causing you pressure today. First and foremost, taking up this shield means repenting of sin and putting faith in Christ. And if you've already done that, perhaps the problem is that the shield has been slipping down and down a little bit. Maybe you've been tempted to believe that you've got enough strength and glory in yourself. And your shield has been falling and so you've become easy prey to some of the arrows that Satan fires at you. You need to raise that shield back up again. You need to get your gaze back onto Jesus Christ. God is your shield, dear friend. He is your glory and the lifter of your head. 
For believers under pressure, God provides protection. Secondly, for believers under pressure, God provides rest. For believers under pressure, God provides rest. Look at verses 5 and 6. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Isn't it amazing what a good night's sleep can do? And again, David is not exaggerating when he said thousands of people were set against him. We read that earlier. There literally were. But Psalm 3, some people say Psalm 3 is a psalm for the morning because simply waking up again, as David says he did here, it's a blessing from the Lord. And the good night's sleep is a blessing from the Lord. And sometimes that's, that makes a huge difference. Sometimes it gives us a whole new outlook to wake up and to say that we were able to get a good night's sleep. The trouble is, of course, that on a fairly regular basis, you'll hear stories in the news about how most of us in the UK today don't get enough sleep. And it's the same in other countries with similar culture to our own, the United States, Canada, Ireland, and so forth. Not getting enough sleep is essentially, it's a national epidemic. Most scientists would suggest that the average adult needs somewhere between eight and nine hours of sleep but only gets between six and seven. Some people don't get enough sleep because they work instead. They work too much. They fill time that they should be asleep with more work. Some people are too anxious to sleep. They just allow the worries and the problems to go round and round in their heads. Other people don't work hard enough, which can also be a reason that you don't get enough sleep. Can't get to sleep because you're not tired enough. But for a lot of people, stress stops us from getting to sleep. The, the pressure that we're facing stops us from sleeping. But notice, friends, that here's David chased out of his own city, hated by his own son, fearing for his life. And even though it might well have been on cold, hard ground in the middle of nowhere, David is able to get a good night's sleep unafraid of what will happen the next day. From a human point of view, David going off to sleep was unrealistic and maybe even dangerous. What if his enemies attacked in the middle of the night? Which was essentially, I wonder, did you notice that was the advice that Absalom was given by Ahithophel? And if you think about it, the advice that Ahithophel gave was far better than the advice that Hushai gave, which Absalom ended up following. But the passage told us, of course, that it was because of the Lord that Absalom didn't follow Ahithophel's advice. Ahithophel's advice was, go and get him now while he's weak and tired. Hushai manages to fool Absalom into thinking that he'd be better to wait. But you see, in all of that, friends, what was God doing? He was giving David a good night's sleep, even in the midst of a war zone. In the midst of a war zone, God gave David a good night's sleep. Reverend David Murray, who is a Scottish minister, but he's ministered in the United States for many years. He's written a book called Reset, which is all about living a lifestyle that avoids burnout. And he tells the story, there's, he's got a whole chapter on sleep, but he tells the story of a United States Army general named Peter Pace, who was in charge of the efforts to bring the war in Iraq to an end in the late 2000s. 
uh, and things weren't going very well, as I'm sure most of us can remember. Uh, the generals, the American generals serving under General Pace were stressed out. And so he invited a retired army general to come in and observe the work of the generals and to give his assessment. The retired general said that he would give the current generals a failing grade for their work. He said it was obvious to him why they were struggling in the war effort and why the generals didn't seem to be able to make good decisions. He said it was because they weren't getting enough sleep. He said these men are staying up into the wee hours. They're getting up at the crack of dawn. All they are thinking about 24-7 is the war. He told the current serving army generals that even during World War II, World War II, America's best generals spent some of their evenings watching movies and they went for at least an hour of a horse ride, some of them, during the day and they even took afternoon naps during World War II. He said, fresh, clear thinking would only be possible for the generals if they got a good night's sleep. Psalm 127 tells us that there really is no point in staying up late working away, eating the bread of anxious toil because we're supposed to lay all those things at the throne of God and then we're supposed to lie down and rest knowing that he is in control. One preacher has said, show me your sleep pattern and I'll show you your theology. Sometimes, child of God, with the problem still unsolved and the future still unknown, And with our thinking still uncertain, we need to go to bed. We need to say a prayer and trust that God will give us a good night's sleep. And I wonder, did you notice in 2 Samuel 17, at the very end of the chapter, it tells us about some of David's faithful followers coming and finding him in the wilderness. And among other things, they brought him and his men beds. God gave David a good night's sleep. And it can give you the same, even in the midst of the worst pressure that you face. Charles Spurgeon calls this the sleep of holy confidence. Trusting in God to provide for all that we need. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me all who labour and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. And of course he meant spiritual rest in the ultimate sense. But he also, friends, I believe, meant physical rest at times. Now, I know, of course, there are many legitimate reasons why sometimes we don't get a good night's sleep. Sometimes there, there really is work that has to be done, and it takes up a lot of our nights. Sometimes there are little ones who keep us from sleep because they need to be nourished and sustained and looked after. And with a little one-year-old in the house, Hannah and I know a little bit about that over this past year. But maybe sometimes we don't sleep because we don't trust Maybe we're tossing and turning but not praying. He gives his loved ones sleep, Psalm 127 says. Believe, loved ones, believe when you're under pressure that God can give you a good night's sleep. So for believers under pressure, God provides protection. For believers under pressure, God provides rest. And thirdly and finally, for believers under pressure, God provides victory. For believers under pressure, God provides victory. And for the word victory, you could also write salvation, deliverance. The words are all 
very closely related in the Hebrew. Uh, It's a word meaning that we have hope. We expect to be carried through and delivered, brought through whatever trouble we face, that in the end we will taste victory. He says in verse 3, God will be the lifter of my head. That's the language of victory. It's the victor who has his head held high at the end of a conflict. It's the loser whose head hangs in, in shame. David says, my head will be lifted. I will be victorious through God's strength. He says in verse 7, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. There's someone who wants deliverance, who wants salvation. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked, he says. Why does he talk about breaking teeth? Well, most likely, friends, he has in mind there the imagery of wild animals. You remember when, when David was a young boy, he used to go out and, and fight against animals that attacked his sheep. Uh, and the, the teeth of those animals, of course, was the worst part of them. The deadly razors for some of them, the lions and the bears and so forth. Uh, and so David is really saying that he's asking God to, to neutralize the threats that he faces. Now just remember, friends, David is the king of Israel when he writes this psalm. He doesn't deserve to be treated this way by his son Absalom of all people. Driven out of Jerusalem, mocked by his own people, threatened with death. God's chosen king didn't deserve to experience any of that. And if you know the story, you'll know that David took no pleasure whatsoever in fighting against Absalom. In fact, some of David's most loyal followers actually began to get frustrated with David for not coming down harder and faster on Absalom when he had the chance. But part of the reason for that, friends, was because David trusted God to deal with the threat. And God did, in the end, tear out the teeth of Absalom, as it were. And David was delivered and David was victorious. Notice the psalm ends with a benediction, verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Notice here, friends, David does not just expect to barely survive his troubles. He expects that God is going to cause him to thrive after his troubles. That God is going to richly bless him despite his troubles. One writer says to receive this blessing means not just scraping a victory it means going on to enjoy life to the full and that's what the christian life really is friends it's not just scraping a victory it's not if i can say this it's not just having your sins forgiven it's maybe not the best way of saying that but that's that's not just what it's about it's not just that god says your sins are forgiven and and you're free to go it's god says your sins are forgiven and you are now my child And you are now going to enjoy everlasting life. And you are now going to enjoy heaven with Christ forever. That's what salvation belonging to the Lord means. That's what life to the full means. That's what the blessing on God's people really means. It's not just scraping a victory. It's not just having your sins forgiven and then living in this mixed up, crazy, chaotic, sinful, fallen world. And experiencing all the misery of it for 60 or 70 years and then nothing after that. The Christian life is about far more than that. Our best days are ahead of us friends. Even beyond death itself. 
If you're a Christian this evening, that's what lies in store for you. Life to the full. Life to the full. And of course, as Christians, we would say we are saved. We are saved now and forever. Jesus Christ has delivered us from Satan, sin and death. We are triumphant over them now. But we are also being saved in another sense, friends, from trouble and trial and temptation on a regular basis. Maybe you got saved again this week from Satan's accusations or Satan's temptations. Maybe today you're under pressure again. You're in need of victory again. You're longing for God to pour out blessing again. He can do it. Believe that. Believe that he can provide the protection that you need. In a world that mockingly claims there's no hope for you in God. There's no salvation in God. You need to say with David this evening. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to Yahweh my God my saviour. God provides protection, God provides rest, and friends, God has and God will provide victory. And if someone might happen to ask you, you know, I heard you're, you're going through this terrible time, you, you know, that illness that you have or that a loved one has, I heard about that awful situation you're facing and working. How can you, how do you have any peace? How do you get to sleep at night? Look at the state our country's in. Look at the political crises. Look at all the uncertainty around the, the restrictions we're still living with. How do you face that day after day? How do you keep on going? You tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. That chosen king like David, mocked like David, plotted against like David, but through who, is, who through his death and resurrection is our shield and our rest. And who guarantees ultimate victory and blessing. When we're under pressure, it's faith in him that will bring us through. God will provide for his people protection. He will provide rest. And he has and he will provide victory. Amen.